Hello and welcome to the show. This is the Mark Sheldon Lloyd Show and I'm Mark Sheldon Lloyd and I'm joined by a very esteemed guest, a doctor, a property investor to a very high level called Declan Murphy. Welcome Declan. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Well, thank you for coming down. It's fantastic. I'm going to start with, is working in the NHS toxic for entrepreneurship? Really interesting conversation, isn't it? Um, I, I would overall say, say yes. Um, Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons, actually. Um, So my background is, well, ophthalmology, although likely to be leaving, but a component of that being research. Um, And throughout medical school, was very kind of active doing that with the intention of, you know, improving patient care, but also potential business spin-offs. And, you know, a a key reason for why I'm now, you know, almost full-time leaving doctor work um, is because of the, the challenges to actually be able to implement anything that innovates or improves the current current practices. Um, and that's within the healthcare field. It's incredibly challenging. You know, I've got some good friends who are 60, 70 professors, you know, um, who equally have had that motivation really trying to innovate and to improve things for patients. And I went into medicine, yes, because I, I like the the clinical side, but equally because I want to improve things and the barriers that are met to be able to actually achieve that is is incredibly difficult. So from a practicality perspective, to actually innovate and you know become an entrepreneur within healthcare, I find incredibly challenging. And I think most people would agree with that. People may not realise that your family aren't doctors. It's no. not been easy for you. Mm. So just take us back a step okay. to kind of the little background and some of those important little factors we talked about um, what drew you to entrepreneurship. Because you're definitely not an average doctor by any means. With 70 publications, you've got res- a load of research. You were high fly- You were a high fly in medicine, weren't you? Tell us that little story What's about the, story, the background yeah. and that, that would really be very inspirational yeah, for the audience. Uh, absolutely. So have two amazing parents, um, but financially weren't particularly well off when you compare it with, you know, the typical medical student. Um, I think it's still 70% privately educated um, to get a new UK medical school. So definitely um, not the norm from a socio-demographic perspective. Um, yeah, grew up, I mean, council houses, parents still rent a council house. Um, but, you know, Always had a had a fantastic childhood, and um, but just financially, there, there was never felt like I was missing out. Um, you know, as a child, but parents were always kind of relying on the next quote unquote quote unquote paycheck. Um, my dad has a kind of significant health problem. Um, probably wouldn't mind me mentioning leg calf perthes disease, um, which now can be managed fairly well, but basically has mobility issues, which has prevented him from being able to work through pretty much my entire kind of life. Um, so I think I was introduced to some of the challenges that that results in um, from quite an early age. Again, amazing parents. So I was somewhat forced initially to work very hard um, and then kind of got, you know, as I was working through school, just was was pretty driven to, to always be working hard and to achieve highly. Had my own health problems um, before going into medical school. So have something called keratoconus, um, Generally, you need a transplant unless it can be pre- prevented. <laughs> this is me getting all off the mulch, you nerdy, but by collagen cross-linking. Yeah. Um, but uh, typically, you know, transplant at the age of 40, I had mine at 18. Wow. Um, had issues with that, but luckily, uh, amazing surgeon um, who I have worked with, so I kind of have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, made me acutely aware that health problems can impact 
your work and career and can, you know, if something happens in that perspective, I may have to completely change the career that I'm working for. I'm working in. So that's kind of the background. Successfully got into medical school despite kind of all those challenges. I was always just a bit of a weird kid, always wanted to be the best at everything I did, you know. Hilariously, I don't know if you can tell by the cameras and stuff here, but I'm not the tallest person in the world, but <laughs> fairly competitively played basketball, was pretty, pretty competitive springboard platform diver. I play a variety of instruments and always I'm just one of those annoying people who wants to be the best. Wonderful. Um, yeah, that's great. But yeah, I got into medical school. Um, felt very, very out of like touch with the typical, That's how um, I felt. typical medical student. Like, wow. I remember, I mean, it's partly my accent. I studied down south, um, but just really couldn't really quite relate to 90% of people, to be honest. Have about 10 incredibly good friends in medical school now, but couldn't really relate to a huge amount of them. Um, mainly because of background circumstances. Like there's one, one time I remember someone saying if Declan can pass this was first year, then anyone can pass. <laughs> which I think was a yeah, an assumption based on my characteristics, yeah. I guess. Um, but, you know, that drove me to to be it, trying to achieve as highly as possible. I was very much, if I'm not tip of my med school, then I'm not happy so a person. Um, as I kind of worked through medical school, doing a variety of different placements, kind of got a little bit of more inside information about the reality of working within the NHS as a system. Yes. Um, and... Loved biology, loved chemistry, and therefore did a lot of research alongside medical school throughout that. And through that process, met senior doctors and, you know, who were heads of departments, who were professors with their own research labs. And similarly kind of got quite a lot of, I guess, foresight into what the the long-term career is like. Realised not many of them are happy. Um, so was always looking for alternative income potential income streams so you know in my summer I would do freelance journalism yes. or alongside my work would do a bit of freelance journalism as well um then would do some journal editing just to expand my skill set because um you know it just kind of i think it opened up the the unpredictability of a career um and um that the nhs is probably not the long-term career that i wanted so why do you think it is and I use the word toxic to be more disruptive than yep. label it as toxic, but mm. to create, but there's elements which I experienced, which were very saddened to me at Great Ormond Street when I trained, um, fantastic craniofacial team. Yeah. I was involved with separation of craniopagus twins. Amazing stuff, That's isn't it? When I went to Texas Children's, um, again, uh, conjoined twins at the Thoraco abdominal level um physically i wasn't doing any surgery but i did um published on the information technology needed to separate conjoined twins because right. it's something that's quite i've probably read it you know i, I went with right if yeah. like royal society of medicine yeah. lectures so I've, on that I, so. I, I was very much into information technology in my research not wound healing which is typical of plastic surgeons mm. very much into business yeah um, very much into those types of things and then when i started with the consultant i always went in to a children's hospital with the premise of what John F. Kennedy went into when he visited NASA and they were trying to go to the moon. And he meets the cleaner who's sweeping the hangar floor where the Apollo rockets are being kind of assembled. And he mm. goes, oh, hi, what are you doing? And the cleaner turns around and goes, I'm, I'm helping men go to the moon. And the whole purpose of that was of a bigger purpose. Mm. And when you have a bigger purpose for a hospital 
or for an organization, all pettiness, all gossip, all toxicity starts to disappear because everyone's focused on being better. The, you know, um, I would say the League of Friends would serve coffee and tea faster if they had a bigger purpose, you know, in a hospital. Yeah. And, and if you're not familiar with the League of Friends, it's often where, you know, retired people um, serve tea and coffee and, and nice cakes and stuff. But the whole point was that was my attitude going into the NHS. And I remember stating this to the chief executive of the trust openly in a consultant really? meeting. And people, there was a group of consultants who were scared mm. because this meant more work. Okay. There was a group of consultants who were applauding and there was a group of consultants who thought I was mad. And the general consensus of that particular chief executive was not to go for gold, was to be average because yeah. and to be the uh, almost like the Ford Fiesta of, of medicine. Now, you know, as a Lambo, you know where this is going. You know, I'm not very happy here because I like to think big. So do you think that's my, my story, Yeah, your story, where was that springboard? Why is the end, why is entrepreneurship? Why is this? Why have we lost this? Or why is, does it seem that somewhere like like Great Ormond Street is attracting all that kind of major surgery, or you know Lee's General is doing hand transplants and all kinds of stuff, and we can't get that whole thing integrated through the NHS in the way that feels like it's it's the bigger purpose. Let's go to the moon. That kind of thing. What's yeah. Happened? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I relate so much to that. I mean, my intention is always how can I do. I mean, and it doesn't fit very well with the NHS. I feel it's like, you know, how can I do the absolute best? Yes. How can I achieve perfection? Um, and I think that's just, um, you know, whether consciously a decision or subconsciously decision, just not the priority of, of most NHS hospitals, at, at least in my personal experience. Um, very much more, uh, and this is not, I would like to just like specify, this is not me slagging off the NHS mm -hmm. as a system. I actually still support it as in terms of a free at the point of use public taxation health service one of the best in the world and i think everyone's incredibly lucky as a patient for that yeah um but as a you know driven perfectionist who's wanting to really achieve highly and have patient care as the absolute key priority and that quality of care not not so much quantity which i think is prioritized but the quality um it's just it's just either not possible to have that as a as a key goal for an nhs trust or um you know there's too many other things going on that they can't even really consider that and i just found that really difficult to deal with um you know i would just see you know just suboptimal care um generally because of too many patients to see in a specific amount of time again don't want to be sagging off any clinicians yeah. or any healthcare staff at all because that's not my opinion and um, but just as a system is just incredibly difficult to sustain high quality care um, and my opinion is more just of a you know we need to take off x number of patients to say that we have achieved uh, you know a, a certain level one, rather than aiming to to really provide one of the, the um it's very true what you say in certain sense when i i remember one of the most powerful experiences i had as a trainee was doing intensive care mm. and i loved it and very it, it was it was rare for surgeons to do intensive care but they would take two surgeons from the rotation and make it as part of the SHO surgical rotation, you could do intensive care. Okay. And one thing I loved was, first of all, you focused on a specific group of patients. Second, you did a lot of negotiation and communication with other specialties. Mm. Um, but ultimately also there was the level of the ward rounds and the detail. Mm. And I remember the consultant said, remember, Mark, this is intensive care. When you go to the wards you will find it is sh 
very, very different. I was going to say the word shocking, but he said it's going to be different. And mm. also patients' relatives realise that they've stepped down. It's like going from literally a five-star hotel yeah. to basic, you know, the basic hotel three-star. Mm. Um, and that's not to, to take anything away from the care that's on the walls, but it's what always comes across when people talk about the NHS is workforce shortages. Mm. Um, lack of res, you know use, using resources uh, efficiently or to the maximum mm. and that's something that almost stifles any form of expansion and growth in being you know or being underappreciated that's 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 for the skill sets and the sacrifice that one has invested or the t- investment that you've made as a as a doctor because I you had to pay for your training. Right? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's it's sti- it's stifles like innovation and improvement. Mm. Uh, I think there's just no degree of urgency to be doing that. Yeah. Um, because perhaps there's just n- not enough resources to do it. Yeah. Um, I, d- I mean, I do. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like how to like politically state this, but I think there is also you know somewhat issues in terms of um a degree of like hierarchy and um, being able to feel comfortable voicing your opinion as well within the NHS, which I, I really struggled with. There was a couple of times where patient concerns, which I raised and rather than them being dealt with appropriately, were basically passed back to onto me as being the problem um, for raising such concerns. So um, again, you know, that was because my opinion is this should be the level of care that should be provided and that yeah. wasn't achieved and I yeah. didn't agree with that. But yeah. the system as a whole, I guess, did agree with that and yeah. saw me as the problem. Um, and Do you think that that's something that also is currently in the media with potential that clinicians feel under threat if they see that standards aren't being met, they Absolutely. raise it and then they are the ones that get persecuted. Yeah, I, and It's even been extrapolated, unfortunately, to the Lucy Letby case where... Um, that's a classic example of that being taken all the way through. So, yeah. what could we, if someone so let's let's go back to let's let's get a, an action step from this. Mm. Someone's a very bright junior doctor. I've got a fantastic guy I mentored on my property coaching program. He's flying. He's bought he's bought he's bought his, his first property in, believe it or not, in Kensington, using a bit of a, you know all the techniques and whatever really? with his brother who's also an, um, an estate agent okay uh, very interesting guy also a stand-up comedian as well very amazing. talented amazing really really you, you know you'd it would be yeah. like a whole season of podcasts if we got him <laughs> on board as well he's a brilliant uh, communicator like yourself if we had someone like that who's frustrated who wants to reach out what can they start doing is there any kind of like read this book or start learning about your pay slip or set a goal of saving this amount or how would you advise them if you were mentoring them and just said look start here yeah i mean it's it's similar to what we mentioned on a previous podcast i think you know what is your intention i think people having really clear aims for what they want to achieve is yeah. is incredibly important so you know say it's yeah very driven doctor in the nhs doesn't feel like it's going to be their long-term career they're not happy well what what are you actually wanting you know what do you want to achieve and then from that being able to take those steps now having someone who's experienced in whatever field you decide to go into you know maybe it is well actually i'm going to go and do 
freelance media, you know, or freelance journalism. And that's how I actually want to be making additional income. Find somebody experienced in that field that you can have frank and open conversations with um, and then make an educated decision based on that. Explore the options or, you know, don't feel stupid going to a networking event in a completely different field that you're used to. Um, chat to people frankly ask questions Wonderful, get yeah. experience yeah um and then do you have come to brave, up with though, plan. there's an element of bravery here admitting that first of all you are frustrated mm. a realization in yourself you've got to have a lot of insight which you seem to have it, it, what comes across is how well you know yourself it took time um i, I must admit i mean i just recognized how unhappy i was mm. like incredibly unhappy mm-hmm. um you know as i mentioned in a previous podcast would arrive at work early for the sole purpose to sit in my car just to give myself a little bit of time to think you know before having to go into the operating theater or whatever yeah isn't that sad that that element that atmosphere exists because i also experienced that at a very high level at certain points in my career even as a consultant oh yeah and i'd be like dreading who was going to be there or what was going to happen and there's a lot of fear and I but mean, we can, fear is a really important word to pick up yeah. on, actually. I mean, when I talk about raising a few concerns about, you know, what I thought mm-hmm. quality of care should have mm-hmm. been, I was genuinely, like, fearful that I could lose my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is something that, you know, say from the age of 14, you have as a somewhat goal. I mean, I never decided I fully wanted to be a doctor until yeah. I was about 17. I still wanted yeah. to be a guitarist with a few years Yeah, I wanted to be a film composer. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like John Williams. Yeah, yeah, or an artist or something. But, you know, there's... There's a lot of time that yeah. takes f- for you to get from I'm thinking about potentially being a doctor to being a doctor um, and to feel like that could be at risk because you've raised concerns about p- patient care um, and for you to then be positioned as being the problem and for you to potentially be able to lose your job as a result of that was incredibly fearful yeah. for me. Yeah. And that was actually, uh, I think, a, a real defining moment for me where yeah. I just thought I actually, you know, the classic, oh, doctor's a, a long-term safe job to have. I actually felt it wasn't a safe career yeah. to be and in. And actually, um, it's not to give a spoiler alert, but there is a social media post that I'm going to be posting about how vulnerable consults are and how vulnerable doctors are, actually, if they think that they're, if they're solely relying on the government in producing their income streams. Absolutely. So Declan, it sounds like we come back to what I would call the two punch words that I feel you always always have an intention. Get your education, take that educated risk. And on that note, take care. See you soon. Thank you for watching this video. And please like, share, comment and push the notifications bell to receive the next and latest video from the Mark Sheldon Lloyd Show.